the Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus, full of stories and love for all. Hello and welcome to the Queer Arts Show on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Rosie Wilby. I'm a comedian, podcaster and the author of the books Is Monogamy Dead? and The Breakup Monologues. You might have heard me on Virgin Radio Pride last year as a guest of Matt Cain and host of a Radio Diva documentary. I'm delighted to be here again to delve into queer arts and culture with two fabulous guests. Jen Ives is a stand-up comedian, TV comedy writer and general nuisance for anti-trans activists, (laughs) with activists in inverted commas. (laughs) She recently appeared alongside the fabulous Joe Lycett on his 50 Years of Pride party on Channel 4. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hello. I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you here. And Dean Atter. Dean is an author who was named as one of the most influential LGBT people in the UK by The Independent on Sunday. And Dean's work often deals with themes of gender, identity, race and growing up. And he has appeared on BBC One, BBC Radio 4, BBC World Service and Channel 4. Dean regularly performs across the UK and internationally. Hello, Dean. Hello. It's good to see you. It's been good a while. Good to see you too. It's been a little while. We've worked together many times over Yay. the years. Well, I'm really excited to be talking to you both. Over the course of this show, we'll be discussing whether we still need dedicated queer art spaces, festivals and platforms for showcasing the work of LGBTQ plus filmmakers, musicians, authors, comedians and artists. Does specialist curation provide a safe space for authentic expression? Or is it a form of segregation which limits audiences and the potential for mainstream crossover? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's kick off. I suppose I just wanted to start by explaining why I wanted to ask you these questions and have this conversation and this discussion. And a bit about my experience. I've been a comedian since the mid-noughties. I was a musician before that. And the main reason that I got into comedy was a gig that used to run every month called Comedy Camp, which, Jen, you probably won't know because it, no. it has long since stopped running. And it was a wonderfully queer comedy night that ran at a venue called Barcode every month. And it was where I did my first five minutes, my first 10 minutes, my first 20 minutes and started working my way up and getting paid as a comedian. It was a brilliant atmosphere. And I suppose I felt that these queer spaces, very celebratory queer spaces that I used to perform had a very, very different feel to the sort of more, if you like, mainstream comedy circuit where I almost felt when I first started about 15, 16 years ago, I had to have a bit of a a different set, like a kind of queer set and a straight set. And they almost felt like different worlds when I did the sort of, in inverted commas, straight gigs. uh, My most common heckle was usually from a straight man in the crowd and he'd say oh can my girlfriend and I have a threesome with you and I would usually say well you can but it'll probably be you that gets left out (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah it was interesting times and I think my perception is that those two worlds of sort of queer comedy and straight in inverted commas mainstreamy comedy seem to have merged a bit but we'll find out more about that when we chat to Jen in a moment and now also I suppose I've crossed over a bit more into your literary world as well Dean because I've now had two books out and that's been a really interesting experience as well because alongside you know the the kind of more mainstreamy literary festivals I do a lot of 
queer literary events as well. Okay. I've just come back from Out and Wild, which was the first ever uh, wellness festival for queer, questioning, trans and non-binary women, which happened in Wales. Awesome. And that's probably the only festival I've done where I've completely sold out all the books of all my <laughs> titles that the bookshop were able to get hold of. And we nice. had to run to the car to get my backup box of my own stock that we had to start selling those. You're always prepared, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. But it's just so interesting how there's just this huge appetite for books when I do the queer gigs because I'm talking to effectively my family, my community. And I th I st still think it feels very different. There's so much that I've been thinking about that I would really like to unpack with both of you. Um, and I started off by talking about comedy. So, Jen, I'd love to find out more about your experiences when you started comedy yeah. and whether you feel you've always been able to talk about your identity very openly and whether you feel any difference between different types of gigs that you do. So I started comedy in Brighton. So nice. obviously, yeah, so that's <laughs> quite an accepting place to start. But I didn't start on any sort of LGBT scene. I just started in the sort of general open mic stand-up comedy scene in a venue called the Carolina Brunswick, which is like a heavy metal bar. I did start off talking about trans issues and LGBT content. But, you know, when you're first starting out in comedy, I mean, comedy is so much about who you are and selling a certain version of yourself to people that don't know you and they have to kind of get with it like right from the start you sort of have to you know in a way mm. you have to address what's there um but generally no like i i don't do maybe as many lgbt gigs as i would like to um i do mainly do you know quote unquote straight <laughs> sort of like yeah. normie gigs but yeah, um yeah. but I, but i do do some lgbt stuff and i i definitely have noticed a difference yeah that there is a difference in in the two there's there's a sort of there's a shorthand that comes with lgbt nights you know there's certain things that don't need to be explained and there's certain things that you can just get right on with you don't have to do a cheesy introduction that kind of like sums up <laughs> what it means to be a trans person you can just go straight into it there is that kind of element of freedom there i guess but also i do sometimes feel like if the audience are too on board that it can have a kind of detrimental effect as well where oh. yeah a little mm. bit just just in the sense of like i don't know the kind of mystery or the kind of shock value isn't necessarily there and i've certainly done one or two although this is a not the main experience i've had at queer venues but i've done one or two venues where yeah i think a queer audience are sort of so right on that if you yeah say anything controversial <laughs> that it's not always accepted which is interesting because you almost expect that audience to be accepting you're right because it's kind of like so say as a trans person i'm at a normal straight night i don't know how <laughs> I mean, what you call no, it like, you know but it? it's like yeah they don't really have it uh, like a club night i suppose yeah. there's an element where if you are that one sort of representative of a group then that can kind of benefit your niche in time which seems to be what stand-up is all about you know you have to have like a a unique isp or whatever is that what it's called USP. usp you have to have that and then um it can kind of be beneficial just from a purely selfish point of view it can be beneficial uh but then in an lgbt night for example you are still kind of telling your own story and you might say some things that not everyone necessarily agrees with like what you were saying and, and sometimes people aren't sure whether or not they are allowed to laugh but mm. 
I think there are benefits and negatives to both both those situations really I think there's a place for both both of those things so you think we do still need those kind of dedicated spaces as well and queer festivals and events I mean yeah in my opinion yes I, yeah. I do I do think we do need them I, I think I think if we said that we didn't need them like I'm all for like integration I'm all mm -hmm. for like mixing the two um which I think we are slowly trying to do but at the same time I think you you have to have your own dedicated spaces and they don't need to be exclusionary like you mm. you can still welcome in straight people oh, but yeah. but we have to have spaces that are run by us on our terms definitely it is at this kind of quite interesting transitional time in sort of queer politics and culture where it seems like the progressive thing to do to completely integrate Dean I don't know what you find but I still find that I get and, and you know we've all got to live I think this is an important point I get <laughs> I get paid more when uh -huh. I'm doing queer events because I guess I'm known more in that scene I don't know wh whether you find there's a kind of financial aspect to this as well um no I mean I there's there's a how do I answer this I think I'm I'm more um more willing to um, lower my rates for a queer event than I would for a, a, a mainstream event. So I, I sometimes get paid less to do things oh, for, okay. for queer organisations just because I want to support. Like, oh, um, nice. so <laughs> yeah. yeah um, oh, now, you, now I feel really bad. <laughs> I, no didn't wanna, no I, didn't, I didn't want to make you feel bad, but I was going to agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I definitely think within key times of the year, whether it's um, LGBT History Month or kind of Pride season, because it's not just a month but like the summer, I guess, there's a lot more work for LGBT people yes. kind of knocking around. And so I, I guess I can see my, my income might go up in those periods. Um, but well, I've also got... you get more volume. Yeah, work. I've yeah, also got right? Black History Month yeah. um, <laughs> for the listeners. <laughs> yes. I am a black man. Um, yes, yes. And um, I think that's um, been really interesting actually to compare and contrast, you know, that those experiences. So February for LGBT History Month, October for Black History Month, there's a lot more work for me. And the rest of the year, I'm like, hi, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> so that's quite interesting. I think the spaces and the festivals, they're so needed still. Like mm. I, I need all the spaces I can get, like whether it's queer spaces, whether it's black spaces, whether it's black queer spaces. I actually take it upon myself to curate black queer spaces um, mm, mm. with my first novel, The Black Flamingo. And that was very much about the black queer identity. And when I was working on that, I wanted to bring together other black queer writers. And we were all writing in different um, forms. Some were writing poetry, some were writing fiction, nonfiction for adults, for kids, but coming together and talking about our process, talking about kind of how racism and um, homophobia and transphobia intersect in our lives mm. and how those experiences will come through in our writing, but how we don't want to be defined by just our identities and we've got so much to say but trying to say it um you know being able to say it to each other is very different to trying to explain it to straight people or white people like that we don't want to be defined by our identity it's not that we're trying to like shine our identity or, or think that that's not important it's just about we've got so much more to say and sometimes we can get boxed in and mm. so I feel like yeah that does happen but I don't think we box ourselves in by having these events or festivals or bookshops like when I go to a oh, queer bookshop yeah like gaze the word in London or yeah. category is books in Glasgow that specialist yeah. knowledge you know so it's not just there's an LGBT section as you would get in a mainstream bookstore mm -hmm. 
it's the whole store at, but they know about the graphic novels and they know yeah. about the YA yeah. and they know about the poetry and the memoir and they, they've read most of these books they talk to their, their customers and readers and, and they know what's coming in what's new what's you know what's exciting what's problematic what to warn you almost like trigger warnings or, or this one's a bit mm, like you know they're honest with you and it's just so lovely whereas in a mainstream bookstore yes you will have queer booksellers and those with some knowledge um but they'll might just know like what's selling well i think yeah for me safe spaces or kind of spaces that kind of like center queer people and people of color have have felt really important in terms of just like building up my energy to go back into the wider world um, you know <laughs> having those spaces where i can feel understood and then going out and you know almost translating myself to to those that might not understand me so easily. That's been quite an interesting experience for me to kind of going back and forth between these spaces. And then the spaces that, you know, really champion and, and our, our work, like um, the Polari Prizes for books, like mm. they are brilliant because they bring the attention of, you know, um, a wider audience as well as the LGBT audience that they kind of are set up to serve. And I know like my book, um, my first poetry book got put into WH um, Smith because one of the judges of that prize wow. was a bookseller at WH Smith or a buyer for WH yep. Smith. And and so he he had read it for the prize, which was shortlisted for it, didn't win. Um, but he was like, I'm going to put it in all the train stations and airports and on display. And people were like seeing my book when they were going on holiday, getting on trains. And that wouldn't have happened if the Polari Prize hadn't you know, put me on that shortlist and that person hadn't seen it and thought I'm going to get that in the stores because this is a really exciting book and I want to challenge our, our our customers and 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 it and it worked, you know. And so mm. I just think the the other opportunities it gives us, you know, like so. And I don't think being part of a queer festival or a queer prize precludes us for from doing things outside of that as oh, well. No, so absolutely, and I, I it think can only help. That first book of yours was was really important for you know kind of grabbing that attention i mean do you want to just speak for a moment about what made you choose that title because you know um some people might hear that and be be quite yeah. shocked um well i i kind of the book itself is a, a collection of poetry about my identity my upbringing in london being mixed race being gay and the book inside the book will tell you what i am but with a title i'm telling you what i'm not um yeah, so yeah. i kind of that title poem is in response to um, the murder of Stephen Lawrence. Mm -hmm. It's in response to the use of the N-word in um, hip-hop. It's in response to racism in the UK and the US and, you know, historical legacy of slavery and colonialism and all that is in the title poem. Um, but if we're, you know, being brutally honest today, like it was also a business decision from my publisher that like that will grab people's attention. Yes. You know, and that poem had gone viral online. Mm -hmm. and And actually a lot of people were surprised that it was a book by a gay poet because like they just thought it was going to be all about race and some of the things I read reviews or even conversations I had with people they were like oh I was really surprised when I got like midway through the book and there was all this stuff about being gay and I, <laughs> I just didn't expect that um and so that's really interesting that you know they think we don't contain multitudes you know and we do and so yes. that's really interesting sometimes to lead with one thing and then like bring in loads of other issues I'm imagining, Jen, you do that in your comedy. Well, I was just thinking that's interesting because that's kind of what I think about the idea of spaces. You know, it's, it's kind of one of the benefits about having our own spaces is that, like, you can 
So, for example, with a with a LGBT comedy night, mm. there might be, I've done nights where there might be like five or six trans acts, for example, mm. and you realise, oh, I can't, I can't just be that anymore. Mm. I uh-huh. have to, I have to rise to an occasion here and prove that I have a personality outside of that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we've got more work to do. <laughs> no, that that was something yeah, that was something I overcame quite early on, but yes. um, but it is an important thing. I, I think when you have your own spaces, and and again, like I said just because you have your own space doesn't mean that it needs to be exclusionary Mm. um if you think about it straight people have so many of their own spaces that we are allowed in but we don't necessarily feel always welcome there Mm. and i think what's lovely about having queer spaces is is that it's a place where straight people can go if they want to to see that we have those multitudes and to see that we're not just the stereotype mm. that the, the regular media gives you. you know, and just to see, even if you don't do different material, to see it in a different environment uh, mm-hmm. where there's just a different texture to that and the way it's being understood and yeah. received and to come into our space, I think is just a different experience. I know it's a thorny issue because I, I, I am also aware that you don't necessarily want your like queer spaces or whatever to to be completely overrun you, you don't want it to become like revenge and brighton you know <laughs> <laughs> you don't you know where it's just all straight people but at the same time it's kind of like you you do have to let people in because you you they are the moments where people learn and and they see that it's a community and they see that it's nice and fun and they might feel a bit jealous and think oh i kind of want in on this and unfortunately the only way to be in on it is to be supportive and some of Absolutely. those people we perceive to be straight may be questioning maybe going course. on a journey but not in revenge though not in revenge. <laughs> <laughs> i do want to bring in now to sort of illustrate further some of the points some of the two sides of this that we've been discussing some comments that i got from a musician friend of mine miri who you may have come across on on the circuit miri does a lot of queer events and pride events and festivals and she said it's important to have both so far the only mainstream festival that has booked me is Greenbelt yet I've applied for so many the rest of my festival bookings have been for pride events around the UK and LGBTQ plus festivals these performance opportunities are providing me with an income and if it wasn't for the queer festival bookings I'd be missing out financially I performed recently for an event that was for women, trans, intersex and gender diverse individuals. There was something very freeing and special about it. I didn't have to fight to take up space. It was given to me. This event definitely provided me with a safe space for my truth. However, I also performed at a mainstream event in Shoreditch recently and had an older white straight guy who I've known as a gig goer over the years come up to me after to say I shouldn't be so political. This highlights the need for safe queer spaces, but also the importance of us as queer artists to perform in mainstream spaces. I want my voice to be heard. It's important that as LGBTQ plus people, we are visible. So I think that's really mm. kind of echoing a lot of uh, of what we've already said. But was there anything in that that well, I just you responded think, to? I just think if anyone tells you not to be political... I think you're fully within your rights time to shut the hell up because it's kind of because it because we're not in a you know we're at a time when we need to be you know yeah. it's just yeah that's just something not to listen to i'd say and i don't think that's i don't think that's exclusive of straight people i, th- I think i've i've also heard from a lot of lgbt people who like to kind of stay away from political issues and that's fine but it's not helpful we have to stand up ourselves and one another that it's just a necessity to survive before all our rights get stripped away 
you know, and before spaces become wildly unsafe for us, you know, or if they're not already. So we need safe spaces to combat how unsafe so many of our uh, our kind of friends feel in the world. You know, I mm-hmm. I feel unsafe in some spaces, but like there's other spaces that I can take for granted my safety when my, my trans friends can't. And so that's something I am constantly um, aware of. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, for example, I, I, I wrote a trans character in my latest YA novel, but chose not to put in the publicity that this boy is trans because it wasn't a selling point, but it's just like a matter of fact. Like mm. this is a trans boy, one of the three lead characters in the book. And um, that was something that, you know, I had to say up front to the publicity team and everyone I was working with at the publisher because, you know, it could be seen as a selling point. We are going to encounter mm. in the mainstream people um, wanting to use our identity as, as kind of marketing tool. Mm. And so we have to decide what we feel comfortable with in terms of that, but also what we feel uncomfortable with in terms of like educating people, giving them things to read, having conversations when things get said or done that make us feel uncomfortable or, or that would make your trans friend or your, you know, mm-hmm. other fr- people, you know, feel uncomfortable if they had heard it. So it's about also not being quiet just because what's being said isn't directly offensive to you i am offended yeah. you know for, on behalf of other people like i have the right to be offended on behalf of my friends and so i take that quite seriously too but you know it's a fine line because i don't want to talk over or talk for trans people mm-hmm. when i speak up for for trans rights and so we kind of just have to find find the balance when we're doing that as well but that's why queer spaces are important because because or well, not just queer spaces but any kind of cultural space because that's the opportunity for people to kind of test the the water and like test the lay of the land and like and figure out what's acceptable and what isn't so again i i only really can talk about it in frames of stand-up comedy because that's where i spend most of my time but one of the things i think is important on the flip side about being seen and being around you know the the club circuit or the the non-lgbt circuit is is the attempt to try and make that a little bit more queer like there's no reason why it can't be and it's not you know it's not like a it's not like an agenda <laughs> it's not that calculated but it kind of is you know it, it kind of is I, I think i think there is i think what we're shooting for is more social inclusion obviously all the time mm-hmm. but without those spaces those dedicated spaces we're, we're not going to get there because that's the way in you know that's that's the open door because i could imagine and correct me if I'm wrong, but like in the green room or going for drinks after or having food before a gig with straight and cis comedians, they might ask you things they might not, you know, otherwise feel comfortable asking of, of another person. 100%. Yeah, and so we get the opportunity in those spaces to educate in a way that's comfortable in a way that doesn't feel like they're demanding it of us, but it's like a bit more of a relaxed and open kind mm. of conversation. And I think with our peers, I think that's a really lovely thing to do if there's people in moving in the same circles as us and that's going to make their interaction with other queer or trans people better. That's yeah. a great thing um, if we are willing to do that. So, And I, I think what you're saying about this sort of queer spaces sometimes being energising is, is really important because all these little tiny moments of unconscious bias do have a cumulative effect of of making you feel a bit erased and not seen in the way 100%. that you then are yeah. in in the queer space so well that's very much what trans people are feeling at the moment i think is is 
what you're just describing that kind of small indignity after small indignity and they they build i mean actually there are some big indignities at the moment but oh god yes but the small ones more so do add up a lot and they have like Mm. a real kind of like mental effect i think a big Um, big thing for me recently with brands kids has been like when i've been doing book tours and signing books for them and they're asking me to use their chosen name and mm. but then teachers have been telling me they're not allowed to put that name on the register they're not allowed to put that name on letters home unless the parents agree so actually what i'm doing is quite radical and yeah. what they're asking me to do is is really affirmative for them you know by writing the name that they've chosen for themselves because you know the school as much as they want to legally aren't allowed to affirm them yet and it, it reminds me of section 28 which wow, you know yes. we lived through and was we a terrible did. time you know in terms of in hindsight because you don't know what you don't know and now I look back at my childhood with despair that there was a law that said you know we couldn't have LGBT books teachers couldn't be out we couldn't have mm-hmm. affirming you know talk you about queer I relationships the language of that legislation was you couldn't actively promote homosexuality wasn't yeah, it I mean didn't exactly. even mention being trans or yeah. non-binary yeah. back then and I look back and I'm just like that's why I needed all that therapy in my 20s. That's why even when I got to university and there were lots of queer people, yeah. I had this kind of internalised homophobia and bits of self-hatred that I needed to unlearn and, and get rid of because, you know, I wasn't being affirmed, you know, and I wasn't seeing role models and I wasn't being told it was okay, you know, to yeah. be gay. And so, you know, now that young people are getting that, you know, where it's possible, you know, if, if even if it's not their their chosen name on the register that there are rainbow flags in the library there are queer Mm. books um there are you know they do lgbt history month and and you know teachers are wearing rainbow laces and all those things Mm. make a small difference and that does add up for the for the young people to feel like they can you know be themselves in school it really does even if at home they're not getting it yeah and i think you're what you're describing there is is very resonant to me as well in that I think why I've really gone down this avenue of really obsessing about the psychology of love and relationships in kind of, you know, over a decade of work encompassing three live shows that I toured around the world and then this podcast series and the breakup monologues, obviously, and and then two books, is because I had this invisible relationship for five very critical years of my life when I think... I was probably thinking about it might have been nice to be become a mother, um, you know, but it, when you're with a partner who can't even tell her parents that you're in a relationship, how do you even go about having a child mm-hmm. or having a moving in together or sort of having any of those markers of moving forward in a relationship? And that was, you know, during the noughties, which doesn't seem that long ago, that, that this relationship could not be spoken about and could not be talked about. So I think I've had so much kind of internalised shame to unpack from that. And I suppose that's what led to me sort of talking about breakups and ultimately deciding that the breakup wasn't so much the painful experience as the relationship and the invisibility of that um but yeah yeah so so interesting how our experiences have influenced our art in in sometimes ways that we've been able to reclaim that pain and then yeah. turn it into something positive i yeah. suppose i don't know if you found that yeah but also having empathy with people that you know don't want to be out like that that want to kind of be you know 
private about their private lives. I think a lot of people feel this pressure now that it's like okay, mm-hmm. like to to come out, and and I think it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be great when you do. And so <laughs> I I urge young people to take their time to uh-huh. figure these things out, to talk to people they trust, and you know just take their time, whether it's about sexuality or gender. Like, but I also feel. Like, yeah, we need the support. We need to be affirmed, but we don't need to be pushed and pressured. And, and there's a yeah. there's a balance to be found there. Um, oh, God, yeah. But yeah I, had like... to, I had to wrestle with that. Of course, <laughs> when you're with someone who is in doubt, you want to encourage yeah. them and uh, yeah. empower them, um, but, but equally give them the space and time to work it out. But... I mean, that's the main dilemma yeah. in my new book. So, yeah. like, in Only on the Weekends, like, uh-huh. Mac has... One boy, Karim, who's who's like in the closet and, mm. you know, they've got something good going on in private. But then along comes Finley, who's very open and out. Yeah, and and yeah. that's so appealing to Mac because Mac just wants to be out and proud and shout his love from the rooftops. And he finds himself in love with two boys and has to decide, you know, oh. which way to go Ooh. with it. And, and, and it's not to say either one way is better than the other, but just mm. like what's right for him in that moment. And then those two other boys are on their own journeys and it's just about which one Mac joins on the journey. But I try to be really sensitive because I'm aware there will be young people Mm. that aren't ready to come out. So it's, I don't want to say like, if you're not ready, you're not going to find love. Like, it's just like, take your time with it. And Mm. if you are out, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed love either. (laughs) Like, because, (laughs) uh, you know, I was out there and I didn't find love for a long time. (laughs) I didn't find the right one until I was was 46. Right? There we are. So... kind of hard from a trans perspective because you know so much of of it is like that when it comes to dating and stuff you know you you date a lot of people who well they they're happy to date you but when it gets anything more serious like meeting their parents or whatever it gets a little bit like well I'm not quite ready to take that step Mm. and from my perspective it's quite frustrating you know you Mm. might kind of want to say you know come on like Mm. be be braver than that but when we're talking about young people, I certainly agree with you that, yeah, like you don't want to be rushing anybody out. I mean, in in some kind of ways, I, I do wish that I had some better role models when I was growing up to kind of push me a little bit, mm. maybe, uh, or did at least you, show me that. Did I, you feel that you had any role models? Um, does Nadia from Big Brother count? Absolutely. Yeah, probably definitely. the only one, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Probably the only one, yeah. Um, that but was you, quite a moment, really. Mm-hmm. It was unexpected and amazing that she could be so popular and actually mm, win. And actually win, yeah. But, I, I mean, I don't know if you remember what the papers were like during that time. I mean, not it's great. Not, not the most ideal time to, <laughs> when, when you're contemplating coming out and you think, oh, actually, okay, she won. But mm. looking, looking at the paper, it seems that everyone hates us. <laughs> so maybe maybe not, maybe not. She's amazing, Nadia. I think she's, I think she's just... Like owns her own salon now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shout out to Nazi. Yeah, shout out. Well, she's she's important to a lot of trans people, I think. I, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think just generally as queer people, it's, it was important to see. I mean, I guess for me, um, before that, on the very first se- season of Big Brother, Anna Nolan um, was the out lesbian who was on the first mm. season, who was also very popular and was uh, a runner-up. So... Yeah, it's been great to see role models, and I guess actually growing up as a kid, it was probably Martina Navratilova, uh, <laughs> but um, I didn't think I was good enough at tennis. <laughs> and for me, I think it was you know other than the movie Beautiful Thing oh. and 
queer as folk like there wasn't much that i saw you know like mm. so and i think beautiful thing was great but it was really tough the journey they go on you know it's not easy and it no. made it look really tragic and hard um oh yeah that stuff's all so tragic yeah and then that. like with queer as folk like i think that age gap you know older man mm. younger boys always bothered me like mm-hmm. and so even though i've experienced it or especially because i've experienced it i think like that it, it kind of just feels like i don't like that narrative even if it's common like and so i'm just kind of like it's it's, it's weird it's like almost feels like dirty laundry like when i see it out there um and then you know i i just yeah, I, I kind of think now we're getting more nuanced portrayals and we're well, getting... we've just had Heartstopper, Heartstopper which was wonderful, yes. right? The big crossover from, oh. from, from books to TV yes. and, like, back to books because, like, yeah, Heartstopper by Alice Osman is just beautiful to read as a graphic novel and incredible to watch as a TV series. And, you know, bookstores are really embracing it. Librarians are really embracing it. So they've got displays. If you loved Heartstopper, check out these books. And Mm. often one or two of my books are in there as well, which means it's leading people to read and discover other other authors and stories, which is brilliant. And so I just think, yeah, and it's I think that representation, it's it's all young people with one another, like having a few struggles, but like also being really loved and supported and like great adults you know the parents the teachers really affirming them and it's just great even if that's not the true reality or lived experience of every young people in the country like it doesn't mean it's not possible and I think sometimes whether it's you know books tv you know it's about showing what could be you know Mm, and aspirational aspirational and I think that's really beautiful too it's like if you show something Mm. on screen then it can it becomes more sort of possible in your mind doesn't it yeah 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 create it but yeah, I met I met um, some of the Heartstopper people the other day. Oh actually. yeah, yeah, like Yasmin and uh-huh. um, mm. some of the boys. I don't know their names. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you feel of the the, the portrayal of Yasmin's character in Heartstopper? I, I think it's great. I I, th- I think she's amazing generally, and I was a bit overwhelmed to meet her in a way because, mm. you know, she represents not to put too much on her shoulders, but in a way she represents like this kind of future that I didn't think was possible yeah. in a way. Mm. So yeah, she's much younger than me and I, I kind of just think like, wow, like you're kind of doing like what a lot of us dreamed of and I think it's like really amazing. And She's going to be a Doctor Who as well. I it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Um, she's really nice and well, she obviously doesn't need me to say that. She's doing okay. <laughs> but, um, but the point is, I, I just think it's going to change a lot. I think it's going to change a lot of young trans people's perceptions mm. to have that. I think it's a really important thing. So where, I mean, where are we, where are we headed now? Jen, I saw something the other day, which I assume must be ironic. Um, and I saw an advert for a straight comedian of the year competition. Have you heard about this? It's, it's ironic. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think, it, I think it's happening at a gay bar Um, you know I've done gigs for him before and and he's very gay and and very funny and but I think it does I think it does call to something I think the reason why he's doing it maybe is because there is sort of like a a bit of a pushback you know as there always is you know when Mm. when it's perceived that LGBT people are kind of like (laughs) getting out of their place a little bit you know it it becomes this thing like why I mean we've seen it haven't we like why why can't straight people have this? Why not straight yeah. pride that? And it's what, like, why you know. why isn't there an International Men's Day? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that old chest yeah. that, that always comes but up. I've also yeah. seen a lot of the LGBT awards out there having ally awards and yes. having like, um, 
LGBT friendly company awards and things like that. So I feel like um, it's just a way of bringing more people into the, the fold or the conversation, you know, and if, and, and I think it's a, it's sometimes just a good tactic <laughs> to do that. So like get, get a few yeah. straight celebrities along. <laughs> like, well, I, I, maybe certificate. Huh? Maybe certificate, not award. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. okay. Just a gold star. A paper certificate. Piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> we don't right. want to go mad. Okay, there's a, there's a hierarchy here. Yeah. <laughs> Dean, what do you think about the difference between, and maybe there isn't, but the sort of difference between, we've talked a lot about including queer, trans, non-binary characters in fiction. Yeah. And, and what's the difference between that and between sort of non-fiction where we talk about our our own lives in a more sort of personal memoir sense. I mean, I know there's a lot of crossover because fiction is often based on our actual own lives. Yeah. But is there is there some kind of difference a bit in when we're kind of sharing our actual real lived experiences versus imagined experiences? I think there would be. Yeah. I'm working on a memoir at the moment. Mm. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah, it's going to be called Person Unlimited an ode to my black queer body. And so I'm focusing on myself and my, you know, lived experience and my experience of my body, but also my body exists with other bodies, whether it's sexually or mm. in other ways. And so there's things I'm exploring that, you know, I, I know I'll want sensitivity readers who are trans, mm. you know, to check that I'm, I'm even though I'm writing about my experience, there'll be other people involved. And even if I don't identify who they are, like, or change their names or details, I have to make sure that I'm being sensitive. Like, and with fiction, I've done the same with my last novel. I did get sensitivity readers who were uh, Muslim, who were trans, who were Nigerian, because the black character in the book is actually Nigerian and I'm not. Like, and so I had to um, do my due diligence with that. And I think that's something that I am happy is happening in in publishing that sensitivity readers are a thing um I don't think we should fully rely on that we should do our own research we mm. should you know really know what we're writing about uh to a good enough um you know degree that we're not just leaving all the hard work for someone else to clean up you know our sloppy language like right. I definitely want to you know do the best I can and then show it to someone and but be open to the idea that I may still have got something wrong you know, and, and things change, language and sensibilities change um, over the years. And, and I think if I looked back at some of my older published or unpublished writing, I might cringe at things <laughs> I will have said. When you've had sensitivity readers, are they people that your publisher find or you find or a mix? Both. Yeah. yeah. So I've got friends who we do it for each other. We read I each see. other's work, give each other feedback. I've got people that do it as a favor that there are people that my publisher will pay and there's, there's some people that I pay you know because I just think even though it's my name on the book like it really takes a village when it comes to me to get a book together uh, for it's a so lot many of reasons <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. including sure yeah, yeah but yeah I think um that you know it's 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 also about just making sure there are publishing opportunities for you know a diverse range of people as well you know and so it's just about um, championing and celebrating the the trans and non-binary writers that are are doing it you know and are putting their stories out there but yeah I just think it's um do you write would you write a memoir a comedy memoir <laughs> I, I am I do write I am writing a couple of different things they're not in any kind of place to uh -huh. to brag about but yeah. um but yes I I do and I, I just to speak to what you were saying I, I think mm. it's really important that trans people and 
other minorities write their own stories and, mm. and their own experiences because if not you then you then know who? you can you know you're gonna get the crying game again you know and yeah i mean it's a good film mm. but uh <laughs> it's it's got its problems mm. you know like we like we do have to tell our own stories because that's how we prove to people that that we are human and that, that we have feelings and and emotions and 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 concerns and lives outside of the surface level you know like people make all kinds of assumptions about me i'm sure mm. and particularly with stand-up you know the material that you choose to do is based on so many factors but primarily it's based on the fact that oh this is the thing that i think will make people laugh mm. but that is not always representative of who you are as a person it's not the whole story you know i don't really have the opportunity to go up there and tell people everything about how i got here and mm -hmm. things i've been through or, or anything like that you know if, if the focus is to be funny it's that's not going to be funny that's what i found really refreshing about writing books yeah. in a longer form because you can have the funny chapter that you read out at the night where you want mm -hmm. people to come and buy books and they go oh that was very jolly um <laughs> and you know, what a funny word to use um but then you can also talk about those difficult dark challenging yeah. experiences and the painful times which often don't lend themselves to humour. Some Sometimes it can, but often yeah. it doesn't. Um, Dean was talking about sensitivity readers. Do you ever mm. have an equivalent for jokes? Do no. you just get so, up well, on stage and say them? Well, look, I mean, I'm not one of those comedians that is interested in upsetting anybody. No, um, you don't it's, strike me. No, <laughs> it's not my primary goal uh, to upset people. My primary goal is to try and be funny. That being said, I think the nature of stand-up is maybe a little bit different. It's... Mm. Um, you don't always want to be you don't always want to necessarily be sensitive also it's kind of a also it's kind of a a process of doing and doing again until it's right and mm -hmm. and like yeah like all like you were saying about looking at, at old work and maybe cringing at it a little bit i certainly look back on old material that i had and, and i and i think Oh, there's a reason why I don't do that anymore. You know, I didn't have mm. the most enlightened perspective that I thought I did. Mm. I was trying something, or even if I was talking about something external, uh, if I was talking about something in internal, something that was more that I had more authority to speak on. Yes. Even then, I still think, well, I've grown so much over the past couple of years and learned so much. So actually, comedians do do a good job of um, keeping each other in check. I think, particularly if you have like a good kind of uh, a good uh, circle of of comedians that the you people trust. in your circle run jokes by you yeah people run we run jokes by each other okay. it's not i mean it's not as collaborative as you might think i mean a lot of us don't don't want to hear them uh, <laughs> but 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 yeah like i i certainly would not be afraid to say to somebody when they got off stage like oh by the way like you know that thing you said is a bit dodgy mm. <laughs> you know maybe you might want to think about rewording that or thing you know yeah and it, you know i think lgbt people in particular get a bad rap as being you know quite quite overly sensitive mm. but i think the truth is actually the complete opposite i think the truth is is that we've kind of heard it all before and are kind of just fed up with it and, and i don't think that's an oversensitivity i think that's like i think we're more resilient than they realize and i think it's actually them that are the sensitive ones because they can't handle criticism and <laughs> we so when we're talking about self-policing and stuff i think a lot of us make an effort to read and to learn and and to actually sort of when receiving criticism to to maybe try and get past those feelings of uh shame 
that come along with being criticised yeah. and try to push through them. And that's the difference. I think a lot of people that that I've experienced on the circuit who can't do that lash out and you might not see them again, you know? So it's just, I don't know, it's an interesting thing. Mm. What I'm saying is I think we're tougher than we get credit for. Definitely. Oh, God, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we flipping had to be, haven't we? Um, I... I want to slightly assuage my guilt from earlier by saying that I get paid more at LGBTQ events. <laughs> I do want to point out that some of those were sort of commercially supported events and I have done a ton of <laughs> charity gigs for free for diversity role models and Stonewall and Switchboard who I'm indeed a patron of but do you feel there's anything else you would like to just kind of say as a bit of a, a summary for this discussion we've had this afternoon? I'm kind of glad we didn't have anyone here to kind of say that we didn't need queer spaces because so many times when I get asked to, oh, yeah. you know, go on and talk about such things, there's someone that's, you know, actually against. <laughs> and so it's nice to actually, even though we probably knew we were all going to agree on it, to explore the topic nonetheless. I think it was nice to kind of come from a similar place, but, you know, see the difference in our experience and, and kind of just, you know, sh kind of, reminisce about you know how <laughs> yeah, we've got like... here i think that's just really nice um because i just think debates around lgbt issues are, are really tiresome and, and damaging you know mm. and so i'm glad even though we opened with a question and it wasn't really a debate was it <laughs> well no i mean i i wasn't really setting it up in that way or or in, in anticipating it being mm. like that i although i did once sort of dis discuss queer spaces on another lgbtq plus show that i used to present and i was i was quite surprised that uh, my comedian friend david mills had a little bit of a different view to me and mm. felt that you know we need to sort of progress and maybe let go of all those kind of old gay bars and gay venues and gay spaces and that sense of um you know having in, in some ways our own spaces and, and you need to get out there and, and kind of convert people or you know not just preach to the choir and but so I on think we can but progress i think we are balancing that aren't we the spaces. I, I, I agree. and there's new spaces opening up you know there's queer britain the lgbt right. museum there's oh, queer there's, circle there's, glass house is like... there a new gay lesbian gay queer center in South London, I think that I think that is the LGBTQ queer circle or the queer circle, is that glass one house, or there might be another one I haven't oh, even heard right, of. Okay, but yes. yeah, I think we're we're I think we still need it, and and the fact that they're opening new ones. I mean, maybe that is making up for the fact that you know maybe five years ago a lot closed, right? Like a lot of spaces were shut down, so it we're kind of to catching be, up. Yeah, bringing a few, them back. A few years ago, I think I wrote an article for pride life magazine bemoaning the fact that we were losing so many spaces um i think around Cat, that time the black Joiner's hat arms. had gone exactly the joiners arms and i think the rvt which is now was being still, challenged it was being challenged it was under some threat wasn't it and that's been a wonderful queer it's been such space. an amazing space for me like personally like it's the first place i did drag it's like i went there so many times as a poet during like really busy like clubby type events and then like they put me up there to do a poem and everyone just stops dancing and listens and I'm like really wow thank you <laughs> like yeah. and so it's just that 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 respect for one another is just beautiful like and um yeah we just need those spaces obviously I didn't out outstay the 10 minutes I had like no. but they listened for 10 minutes and then oh, they went back to dancing and snogging and it was great <laughs> but we should also as well as all the wonderful London venues we're talking about give mm -hmm. a shout out there's lots of wonderful queer festivals around the country that I've done over the years shout festival in Birmingham queer coast up is North. queer in Brighton coast is queer um uh, homotopia in Liverpool oh, yes. I did 
for many many years you probably um, quick contact in manchester yeah fantastic yeah. um yeah so there's <laughs> a lot and lot of wonderful uh festivals around well around the world more broadly but particularly here all around the uk and um, well certainly jen dean and myself are very grateful that those spaces exist uh, jen is there anything you wanted to say just to sort of wrap up yeah, like I totally agree with you. I think it is good that we didn't uh, have any like huge debate about that. I, I was wondering whether you were gonna like have a weird angle on it, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but me, me, yeah. oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but you might, but I don't know. It's kind of like, like so many things, it's it's kind of boring to say, but it's like, yeah, it's a bit of both, isn't it? And and actually, like this, what we're doing right now is a queer space right so yeah I, I think it's been lovely and I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation it's been eye-opening uh, as well lots of good recommendations great yeah. and Dean where can people find out more about you so my website is deanatter.com and I'm going to be at the Edinburgh International Book Festival in Ooh. August so I've got several events including one with Simon James Green and Benjamin Dean and another with Juno Dawson and a solo event and I'm hosting the YA book prize so i'm there and i'm gonna make sure to go see your show jen lovely thank um, you tell That's us about your then. show where it is so yeah um my show is called peak trans uh it's right. on every day at the gilded balloon uh at edinburgh fringe except the 15th it's not on the 15th <laughs> break um, uh, also i've just i've just uh done a tv show with joe lysett called uh 50 Joe Lysett's 50 Years of Pride Party. Mm. And uh, that's worth watching. I think there's some good queer representation on that. Boy right. George is on that. Oh, Heard of him? Oh. <laughs> it's a little song. Um, but yeah, that's about it. You can find me on Twitter at Jen Ives Comedian or just jenives.net. Oh, and my books. Um, yes, so yes. My two young adult novels um, are The Black Flamingo and Only on the Weekends. And adults enjoy reading them too so they're not just for teenagers and then i've got a new poetry collection coming out in september um called there is still love here oh wow it's lovely <laughs> <laughs> oh fantastic well thank you both and anyone who wants to keep in touch with me i'm on twitter at rosie Wilby and on instagram at breakup monologues and of course my books are is monogamy dead and the breakup monologues and they're probably mostly for adults <laughs> uh, especially the lesbian sauna chapter that people do, <laughs> do like me to uh, I feel like I'm going to have to write a book now I've yeah. already left out <laughs> oh Jen you're going to you're going to I, I, I'm going to be looking forward to to reading it and I will be back on Virgin Radio Pride in a couple of weeks with a discussion all about queer love and relationships so listen out for that and thanks again to Jen Ives and Dean Atter and a thank you to you for listening. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus. Full of stories and love for all.